Abdullah, this is absolute gold. No one's talking like this on any podcast. Welcome back to the New Nomos podcast. I have been wanting to do an episode on lucid dreaming for ages. And so this episode is a dream come true. It's with Dave Green, who is a London-based artist who creates simple line drawings in his lucid dreams, which he recreates upon waking up. His art has been featured in BBC Science Focus, He's lectured about his work at the Tate Modern and is the subject of a documentary by the World Science Festival called The Dreaming Pen. Now, as I mentioned, I've been wanting to do an episode on lucid dreaming for a while. I'd reached out to various people online and then one day I'm at the dentist waiting for my son's appointment and there was a magazine on the table which I opened up onto a page on lucid dreaming and in the middle of a double spread page was a photo of Dave Green I did a little bit of research went on Instagram went to his website and sent him an email and here we are but this episode is about more than just dreaming it's about our perception of reality and you'll understand why I say that as you listen through the whole episode I've also come to the arrangement with Dave that if you want your own dream portrait, you can reach out to him. I've put all his contact details in the episode description. And if you mention that you found him through the New Nomos podcast, you'll get a 10% discount. You're welcome. And so with that said, just a reminder, if you haven't already, sign up for my newsletter through my website, links in the description. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube, follow on my socials, etc etc you know what to do so without further ado i present to you season two episode two lucid living the art of dreaming for me lucid dreaming comes fairly naturally and i think for lots of people who experience it that way it sort of starts in childhood it seems like people have a similar story to mine where it, I, I basically learned how to do it as a young child as a way to deal with nightmares maybe six or seven years old, I would have nightmares. And then at some point, I can't remember how, but I realized I could sort of wake myself up from these bad dreams. So I used to like hold my breath and then count to 10 and then I'd be nine, 10. And then I'd sort of eject myself out of the dream. And from there, I, rather than waking myself up, I thought, well, if I know this is a dream, why bother waking myself up? Why don't I just if it's a dream, it's not that scary anymore. So I would sort of stay in the dream. And then I realized I could kind of manipulate things and change things and then have my own little adventures. So that was when I was a child. And that just became a sort of normal part of my dream life, just ticking away in the background. And I didn't know there was a name for it or anything. And then years later, as a teenager, I heard the term lucid dreaming, I think on a TV documentary. And I was like, hey, that's that thing that I experienced. And from there, I got a book about it, Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming, which I recommend for anyone who wants to try this. Stephen LeBerge is, um, he's the guy who sort of brought it into the scientific mainstream in the, I think it was sort of 70s, 80s. And, uh, yeah, so that's, I got that book and sort of built on my natural ability and sort of learned all the techniques and 
sort of took a deeper dive into it and with more sort of purpose. And I was studying art at the time at college and it just seemed obvious to combine this love of lucid dreaming with with art. But although a lot of obviously you got like the surrealists who are very inspired by dreams, but what they did was in general they would depict their dreams. But when I tried to do that, it was always really disappointing because there was such a huge gap between what I experienced in these amazing lucid dreams and then what I would try to draw when I woke up. It was always just really disappointing. So what I did, rather than depicting my dreams, I would do a drawing directly in the dream. So I'd get a dream pen and a dream piece of paper, do a drawing in the world of the dream and then wake up and make a make a copy. So I like to say they're not drawings of dreams, they're drawings from dreams. I mean, I think, just to clarify, what exactly is a lucid dream? A lucid dream is just a dream where you're aware of the fact that you're dreaming. Hmm. Okay? So lots of people have experienced a taste of that when they'll, they'll be having a nightmare, and then it will get very, very scary, and they'll go, oh, well, hang on, this is just a dream, and then usually they wake up. Right. So if you can accept that that's possible, all lucid dreaming is is that same sort of experience, but you don't wake up. And if you yeah, if you know you're dreaming within a dream, you have the knowledge that the the whole environment you're experiencing is a product of your mind. And with that knowledge, you can then influence what happens in the dream. So that's not to say that nightmares are the only way into lucid dreaming, but I, I'm just using that example because that's I think lots of people are familiar with that experience, but there are ways you can train yourself to, um, yeah, to have these experiences more frequently. And a good way, I think lots of people, there's a way that I explain it, which I think lots of other people would not explain it in this way. But um, yeah, lots of people shy away from comparing lucid dreaming to imagination because and I understand that because in terms of how vivid and how real it feels, a lucid dream feels feels more like waking life in mm. terms of how real it feels. But comparing it to ma imagination might be useful in that the dynamics of the experience are, are, are quite similar. In that if you use your imagination and you daydream about something, it's not like you're in control of everything that happens. It's sort of like a give and take between like you're conscious and you're unconscious, if that makes sense. Like if I get mm. you to, if I get the listeners at home to close their eyes and imagine uh, a fun fair, for example, mm -hmm. obviously this is different for everyone, but they'll close their eyes. We can try it live now. That This is the first time I've done it with an actual person. So we'll right. see what happens. I'm going to try you're it. Yeah. You're imagining a fun fair, yeah? Mm -hmm. And that sort of vivid, vivid scene. And just watch that image. And now, if you open your eyes again and tell me what you were what you were seeing, uh, that the carousel with the horses going up and down. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. was there anything else? There were other Just things. Describe the scene, like every, everything you saw. Try to describe it to me. Grass. Yeah. Carousel on the grass, and then things happening around. But I wasn't focused on that. So there were things happening around. But I was just looking at this carousel and the horses going up and down. And yeah, was there any people on it? No. Okay. okay. There was so, nobody on the carousel, but there were people around. Yeah. Okay. That, that's kind of what I mean. This is a so the <laughs> idea is that I I didn't 
I told you to just imagine a fun fair. And it's like your experience of that. It's not like you decided that there would be grass or you decided there'd be people there. Do you understand what I mean? Right. Those right, people yeah, are just kind yeah. of there. Yeah. So the, the, the reason I got you to do that was in a lucid dream. It's like you could decide to go to a certain place like a fun fair or where, wherever, but you're not in control of what it's going to look like. Right. Do you understand what I mean? So, right. Or you could decide to meet a specific person, but they're going to surprise you with what they say and do. So it's not like you can control everything. Some mm. people describe lucid dreams as an experience you can control, which doesn't make sense because you can't even control your your daytime imagination or your day. You know, it's right. it's got a life of its own. So it's a give and take between what you decide to do, your intentions, and then surprising things which happen in response to that. Mm. So then how much control do you actually have? Or not even, maybe not, maybe control is the wrong word, but how much influence do you have? on your dreams in your dreaming state and like dave's dreams and like your personal control or your personal influence it varies it varies a lot i mean people one way you can think of it is having a lucid dream there's like a spectrum of lucidity so you can have lucid dreams where you're you're kind of aware of the fact it's a dream but you're not quite lucid enough to even influence stuff and control stuff so that still counts as a lucid dream just the the awareness or you could have one where you're really really changing things in a big way i mean you can make stuff appear you can meet specific people but it's not like it always works you know you can try and do something and it it might not necessarily work you you i might tell myself oh i want to dream of this specific person and a good way to make that happen is just tell yourself they'll be behind you when you turn around and you turn mm. around and there they are because it's easier to make things happen in a way that's believable to your mind if that makes sense right so it's easier for me if i wanted to dream of a specific person to tell myself that they'll be behind me when i turn around it's easier to do that than to sort of go like abracadabra and like <laughs> make a person appear which kind of might be possible but you, you'd be making it much harder for yourself does yeah. that make sense yeah but you tell yeah. yourself if you wanted to go to a specific place, if you wanted to visit your childhood home, you could, you know, try and make it appear in front of you just by willpower. But it's not a very easy way to do it. It'd be much easier to go to a, a doorway, you know, find a doorway and tell yourself it will be behind that door, you know? So oh, it kind of has its, its own kind of logic to it. Yeah, it is quite it is quite hard to describe if you haven't had the experience, the sort of level of control. But I mean, one way... Yeah, I guess it is kind of, you could say it's like being embodied in your imagination. So it's sort of like similar dynamics to imagination, but it feels very, very real. I mean, it, one way to describe how real it feels, it feels as real as a dream. And if you don't think dreams feel real, well, when you're not having lucid dreams, you're, you're everybody every night is convinced that they are literally in those worlds. I mean, that's how, mm. that's how convincing dreams are. If you take a step back, if you're trying to describe lucid dreaming and dreaming to someone from another planet, I think regular dreams are almost stranger than lucid dreams in a way. Like the fact you could dream that you were, you know, on a wherever on a desert island somewhere, and you know you're a secret agent, bloody bloody blah, <laughs> and, then, and then as that's happening, you take that all to be 
absolutely real and then you wake up and you're oh hang on that's almost stranger than having a similar experience where you right you're more aware of what's going on do you know what i mean if you take a step back dreaming yeah well i mean i uh i remember hearing i think it was on that same documentary actually on netflix that they did like a, a research study on dreams and they found that the emotions you feel while you're dreaming you're actually feeling them so yeah. it's like that part of the brain that processes emotion is on, you know? It's, so whatever, like, if you feel sad, if you feel happy, if you feel scared, it's like you're actually experiencing those emotions in the dream state. It's just your body, your actual, the, the motion of your body is not on because that part of the brain is switched off. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's fascinating. So when you wake up, when you have like, let's going back to the idea of nightmares, when you have a nightmare, you are experiencing that fear or that that horror in front of you. So your brain is is experiencing that. So when you yeah. wake up, your heart rate is beating faster because you know your body can't distinguish between what's real and what's dream. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And that's why a lot of the time you after if you have a bad nightmare, the next day you'll be in a foul mood because in some uh, way you did experience something really nasty, right? <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite one is being blamed for my wife's nightmares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she has some yeah. nightmare with, uh, you know, I'm cheating on her or something. And they're like, you know, ah, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm very sorry for, <laughs> for yeah, yeah. Because as we said, that's a, yeah, that's something she did experience, even if it doesn't right. you know, like waking so, life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's fascinating. That it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I mean, generally, like generally, the community of people who do lucid dreaming, they they like to they like to speak about waking life versus dream life, rather than real life versus dream life, because dreams are, in a sense, real in the in the way that you're saying they're real. They're real experiences. They're just whoa, whoa, private. Whoa. They're just private experiences. Well, well, well. There's a community of people that there's like lucid dreamers. There's a community of lucid. Well, dreaming and then, people. you know, I'm, people who I'm mainly talking about online. You know, people right? Who do, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Okay. Are there ways you can learn how to lucid dream? Yeah. So it's a bit like um, it's a bit like musical ability. Like people have like. So there's differing levels of natural ability, but anyone can learn to do it with, with a bit of practice. So, um, yeah, so the first step would be to keep a dream diary because the, the first step to learning to lucid dream is remembering your dreams. And the best way to remember your dreams is to start writing them down. Mm. So the, the very act of paying attention to your dreams is, uh, is the first step. Mm. You'll find the more you pay attention to them, the more they'll respond. So the more dreams you record, the easier it will be to remember them and it sort of like exponential in that way. Mm. So that's the first step. And then there's two different varieties of lucid dream. There's a dream initiated lucid dream and the wake initiated lucid dream. I mainly do the wake one, but that's a bit, it's a bit of a strange beast, that one. So if, if you're starting out, the dream initiated lucid dream is the, the easiest one. And that is that's essentially training yourself to realize you're dreaming whilst the dream is unfolding. And the way you would do that is you take your dream diary when you've got a 
couple of weeks or maybe a month's worth of dreams, you'll start noticing recurring themes coming up over and over again. It's different for everyone. But most people's dream life is there'll be similar things that come up over and over again. So you might always dream of fire engines, for example. Right. And you notice that and you're like, okay, so that's one of my personal dream symbols is a fire engine, right? So then you tell yourself, next time I have a dream about a fire engine, or next time you even see a fire engine in waking life or in your dream, you're going to do something called a reality check. And that's where you ask yourself whether or not you're dreaming. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're walking down the street, you see a fire engine, and then you just take a couple of minutes and you've really, it sounds utterly ridiculous <laughs> and in a way it is, but you've got to ask yourself and genuinely, you've got to genuinely, uh, you've really got to believe it, otherwise it's not going to work. You've got to really ask yourself, is this a dream? You look, look around you, you might touch some stuff like that. Even the old idea of like pinching yourself, like right. look around, see if things are solid and just ask yourself if, if you're dreaming. And if you do that regularly enough, when you see your personal dream symbols or just at regular intervals throughout the day, eventually you'll be, you'll ask yourself that question and the answer will be yes, you, you will be, you will be dreaming. So like you will find yourself in a dream and that symbol reemerges. And at that point in the dream, when you're asking yourself, you're realizing that, wait, this isn't waking life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right, okay. So you can do it. You can do it when you see the dream signs or, or you can just do those reality checks at regular intervals throughout your day. You can just set an alarm on your phone or whatever. Every, every hour might be a bit excessive, but you know, <laughs> lunchtime, breakfast, dinner, whatever. Right. Don't, don't give yourself indigestion, but you know, take a little break. And the, the I should elaborate on the reality checks a little bit more. The way they work is, although dreams can feel very, very real, they they do have sort of they do operate in a very different way from waking life. And one of the main ways that dreams are different from waking life is everything's constantly changing in a dream. Nothing's really stable for more than a couple of seconds before it morphs into something else and the, the people that stu study dreams call that hyper associativity which yeah. just means it's this very creative state where things are flowing into each other right so these reality checks take advantage of that that quality of dreams because one of the the places where that constant change is really evident is in text in writing so if you're in a dream and you try and read something, it doesn't really work. The text is like moving around the page mm. and the, the letters are all dancing around. And so it looks very different in a dream. Mm. So that being the case, a reality check that lots of lucid dreamers like to do is they like to have a digital watch or you can just use your phone. And at these regular intervals throughout your waking life, you ask yourself if you're dreaming you sort of, it's a bit like mindfulness practice. You just try and be mindful of your surroundings. Ask yourself, is this a dream? Mm. You look at your digital watch or your phone and you'll look at the time. I'll do it with my phone now. So you look at the time. It's 10.48, right? Right. Then I'll look away. Then I'll look back. 10.48. I'll look away. 10.48. So I'm pretty sure I'm awake right now and this isn't a dream. <laughs> 
Because if you did that in a dream, you're at 1048, then you'd look away and look back and all the numbers would be jumbled or it'd say something else or, you know, right. And you're like, ah, this is a dream. Right. So that's how um, it works. That's, that's probably which point you're now aware that you are in the dream. Yeah. Okay. And at which point, so now we can sort of move on to the challenges. So then you're aware that you're in a dream. And at that point, many people beginning to do lucid dreaming will go, I'm in a dream. And they'll get so excited that that rush of emotion will wake them up. <laughs> okay. Well, so that's the next step is your emotions are very heightened in lucid dreams. And any extreme emotion, whether it be positive or negative, will wake you up. Again, going back to nightmares, when you get really, really scared, you always wake up, right? Mm. You get very If you get so excited that you're in a lucid dream, you're going to wake up. I guess you just need to be aware of that fact and try and sort of temper that emotion. Even when you've been doing it a while and you're not excited, there are, you do find yourself waking up sometimes and there's various techniques you can do to keep yourself in the world of the dream. And a very simple one is, Right. If you think about it, you've got your body laying in bed, right? Your waking life body. Then you've got your dream body, which is the body you experience yourself as in the dream. Mm -hmm. So if you feel yourself waking up, what you need to do is you need to engage the senses of your dream body. So what I might do is like, I might just start rubbing my hands together like that. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> then that's keeping you in the world of the dream, right? Or just feel the walls. Do you understand what I mean? You want to be engaging your, your senses. Mm -hmm. Or spin around is a good one. Right. That's a really, that way your dream body there's a lot of there's a lot going on when you spin around so there's various ways that you it's absolutely you fascinating stay in the dream and was i was reading a book recently it wasn't about lucid dreaming try to remember i can't remember the name of it but there's a chapter on lucid dreaming and he he went to stephen laberge's retreat out in a he does these i'm not sure if he still does them but in hawaii where he teaches people to lucid dream and this right. guy was like a journalist and he didn't know anything about it. And he said, he made quite an interesting observation where he was like, he thought it was like this vague sort of, uh, vague sort of experience that people have. But then he was surprised when he heard lucid dreamers talking to each other like, oh, hey, there's almost, not that there's rules, but there's definitely like the, the shared nature of the experience. There's lots of overlapping. Mm. So all the things I'm saying there, these are, Lucid dreamers chat to each other and they figure out this stuff, like the spinning around, the rubbing the hands, the watch thing. You know, they're all like known techniques within the world of lucid dreaming. So there's a whole grouping of people out there who, let's say, specialize in having adventures in the dream world. Yeah, and the, and there's books that are written about it and uh, workshops and stuff like that, yeah. So I'm just curious now, like, the, my understanding of the dream reality is it's like it's you're tapping into the what I would call the unseen or the unconscious, the subconscious realm, right? Now, that is also where all of our traumas and kind of narratives, etc. reside. So we kind of go through our waking life with you know issues from our childhoods issues from our parents inherited patterns from our ancestors etc cetera, etc cetera, right now i'm curious whether you have explored any of that in the dream 
world, like asking questions or meeting ancestors or meeting people or going back to childhood traumas, etc. Have you done any of that? I see what you mean. Um, I've done a little bit of that, but for me, well, not too much, to be honest. For me, the main sort of areas that I do are the, the artworks. And then I do, in terms of using it for self-development, if that I don't know that if that's quite the word you were getting out there, but I, I quite like uh, meditating in dreams, which is like, wow, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's like this isn't quite what you were saying, but I haven't really explored that so much. No, but that's in, in a way therapeutic stuff. But meditating, yes. So that would be a more sort of a Buddhist approach, right? To, but to, so to now you can now in whoa okay this is cool so then you can induce a meditating state within the dream world yeah i mean you literally i it's quite funny actually because although i've been meditating for years i'm very inflexible so i sit down on a chair to meditate in waking life but even when i'm in a, a dream i still pull up a chair to to um meditate okay but, yeah i literally will be in a lucid dream and i will yeah, sit down on a chair and do a meditation exactly as I would in waking life. And that is really, really interesting doing that. I recommend anyone try that because for me, in terms of sort of a sort of beneficial knock on effects to my to my sort of well-being, I, I would say doing those experiences have been pretty Would you would you mind talking about your experiences doing that? Or is it kind of personal? yeah? So it's quite unusual. I mean, it, the thing you got to bear in mind about lucid dreaming is <clears throat> expectation plays a really, really key role. So I can tell you what I've experienced, right? But it, it's it's quite a fun. It's like a hall of mirrors because then if you try this, if anyone tries this, that what they experience will be influenced by what I've said. But that doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay, right. you understand why? Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. So um. So what, what's happened with me is I'll sit down and meditate. And I find it, I mean, it's quite, it's a bit hard to explain, but the, without going into too much detail, the, the dream, the environment of the dream will kind of break down in various ways. Sometimes it will kind of sucks in on itself and the, the environment of the dream kind of disappears. And sometimes my sense of my body will uh, sort of disappear as well. And then I'll find that I, then I, I sort of wake up, but then it's what you call a false awakening where I, I wake up into another dream, which is something that happens quite regularly anyway. But when, when I meditate, it seems to always happen. And I'm still kind of learning, but I, I'll from there I'll think, oh no, this is just another dream. And then I'll try and meditate again and just try and sort of reach that sort of con contentless dream and yeah just it comes with a very peaceful it's it's just like normal meditation really but rather than um rather than trying to cultivate a detached uh, relationship to your your thoughts you're trying to cultivate a detached relationship to the dream if that makes sense because the dream is your 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 thoughts so it's like normal meditation, but times a hundred or times a thousand. Right. Well, that's what because I'm thinking now. Like when I meditate in a waking state, 
there's when you kind of really feel that you've done it well or you you've you've kind of experienced the most of it is like you almost go into a dream state okay where where you're you're awake but you're kind of in between being fully conscious or just being completely you know like in a state of bliss or just a state of kind of well, I suppose bliss would be the right word. Joy, bliss, mm. kind of just ease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I I had never even thought it. I'd never even kind of contemplated that. I mean, already like <laughs> just talking to you is amazing because it's like boom, 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 all of these different ideas. But to just for me, the thought of meditating in the dream state must be like so surreal. It's interesting. Now I'm thinking about it. Um, it does play into the more directly therapeutic stuff that you were saying, because what I've, what I've experienced a few times doing this meditation is, um, and again, this is something that can happen in waking life meditation when you do longer, quite long sits, is like, yeah, like shadow, what you might call shadow material comes up, like really dark stuff. Mm. And, uh, but that's that's usually a sign that you're getting somewhere, you know, if you can kind of push through that stuff. See, I realized that recently, like one, just the other night I I was doing one and I kind of fell into a, yeah, I was kind of sucked backwards and I sort of fell into a a dark pit and then a spike went through my head. So that wasn't very nice. Right. (laughs) It's almost like the dream's trying to test you because you're, you're trying to, um, yeah, you're trying to retain a sort of detached relationship to this stuff. And it's like going... You think you can do that? All right, here's a spike. Here's a spike for your head. But then you're you're happening and you it's happening and you're trying to sort of remind yourself this is a dream. This is a dream, you know, so it's a, so it's quite extreme. But you see, like now that you've had these experiences in the dream world, how does that affect your experiences in the waking world? Yeah, well, specifically the meditation stuff or no, I'm just curious because I'm I'm like also it's like how do you know that the waking world is real and the dreaming world is unreal? Let me just check my phone. Um <laughs> uh, you, you yeah, I mean the idea of this the, these practices is to um well I mean that's a big question there, but there's a few ways you can answer it. I mean, one one way I, I would say is the idea of these practices is to cultivate uh, an understanding of knowing the difference between the two, right? That's how you have lucid dreams because you, you, mm. you've, because most right. of the time when you're waking, you know, people are stuck in their own heads thinking about, you know, their to-do list or where they got to do, what they got to be, blah, 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 blah. So you're not really um, aware of your, your state really. Mm. And, you know, doing these practices does teach you to be aware of your surroundings uh, and what you're doing. But so that's one way of saying it. So you're learning the difference between dreaming and and um, waking life and paying attention to that. But obviously, on a, a, if you wanted to go the more Buddhist, you know, if you wanted to go really deep into it, I, the Buddhist approach would be or various other sort of religious practices. And the way they've looked at lucid dreaming would be more like uh, the whole point is to break down that boundary and it would be like um, seeing the dream for what it is, seeing the dream as an illusion would help you to see 
waking life is also a, a type of illusion mm. you see and then all those ideas that we're not separate we're, we're all in the mind of, of god or whatever how they might phrase it but uh so, you know yeah i'm just curious is that how is that how you experience it personally uh i wouldn't use those words necessarily and i i haven't really i wouldn't say i've delved deeply enough into in, into that to to say really but i find those i find those ideas interesting mm. but um yeah but i would say definitely meditating meditating in dreams i've sort of dipped my toe into that a little bit and i found that very interesting yeah because i mean for me personally when i heard about that um uh, the, the, about lucid dreaming through this lady again on this Netflix documentary. I can't remember what this is called. I have to. I'll, I, I'll put it in. I'll I'll link it in the in the episode description. But the first thing that came to me is that that's why I, I watched that while I was um, studying to become a life coach. So I'm currently professionally, like in, in my profession, a life coach. Okay. And as I was studying that, I came across this thing of lucid dreaming. And I just thought it's absolutely fascinating that one could then go, because what you find is if you're reflecting on things in your personal life, like, you know, as I'm training to become a life coach, I had my coach over me that was taking me deeper and deeper and deeper into myself and my traumas and my issues and my things in order to free myself because his whole, um, his method is that you can't, you can only help somebody go as far as you've gone. So if you haven't dug deep enough in yourself, you know, you can't actually guide the person to mm -hmm. dig deep into their self. And that's very, a strong part of his methodology. So while I was studying, you know, he's taking me deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. And what's happening is because I am, you know, asking these questions of myself and kind of, and doing this inner work, you're just, on a daily basis conscious of these different patterns in yourself conscious of your different narratives in your head etc cetera, etc cetera. now what will happen is every three or four five days or whatever you have a very clear dream and boom you know something else emerges and so i and it was while i was experiencing that that i watched this documentary and i was like oh wow if i could lucid dream then i could go and like find my grandfather or something and ask him about his experiences or i could go and uh ask a question that i'm like is this this or that or or relive a memory from my childhood and kind of see it through a different perspective so that i've now as an adult remember that experience as something horrifying if i could replay that memory yeah, would i yeah. see something different would i see something else would it be actually there was something good in it you know and that kind of idea and so yeah. i went on this journey to try to lucid dream and Maybe I wasn't consistent enough. Maybe I didn't do it to its fullest, but I didn't have a full-on lucid dream. I had very, uh, my dreams did get more vivid because I was keeping a dream journal and I was keeping a track of, of what I was dreaming of. And definitely doing that made my dreams clearer and easier to remember on waking. But there wasn't one point at which I was completely aware, but I got COVID and I remember lying on the sofa 
in a kind of like feverish state. So it wasn't, um, it was kind of, I don't know whether if one would call it like semi hallucinating or not, but it was, I was very aware that I was kind of in between. And if I closed my eyes, and as, when I closed my eyes, I was a wolf running through a forest. When I opened my eyes, I was back in the, on the sofa. And I closed my eyes and I'm like, vroom, back into this world, this kind of magical forest, there's trees everywhere and I'm just running and I'm going faster and faster and faster. And then suddenly I like see the edge of a cliff and I stop. And then I'm just looking down on this massive valley with like mountains and trees and everything. And, you know, then I kind of like, all right, back on the sofa. So it was kind of like a semi-lucid experience, but it wasn't a lucid dream. It was more kind of a lucid hallucination or something. That's interesting. But, so that's so you're saying it was a hallucination because you weren't asleep. You were you were more in a fever kind of. Yeah, but it it was, it was great fun. <laughs> it's like yeah, and, yeah. and I was aware that I was this wolf, you know, mm -hmm. but not I couldn't see my wolfness. I was just because you know looking forward, yeah, and I'm, but I'm just but I was at the height of a wolf running through the forest. You know, and like I think there was a moon actually at the end of it, and it was just this great experience. But I yeah, could choose cool. which way I was going as well. It wasn't just it wasn't pushing me. I was kind of like yeah, yeah. being pulled along by it, and that was awesome. But then after that, I kind of I think I went on to the next curiosity, and I I never. But now that I think about it, talking to you, one thing that I didn't do was that. Uh, like waking check, like pinching myself or looking at a clock or something. Okay. I didn't do that. So maybe that would be the next step. Yeah. I would say, I mean, th this might help you, like you uh, people listening to this. The thing I would say is, and you've learned this yourself, just keeping a dream diary in itself, is, that's a reward mm. in itself doing that. That's a rewarding practice. And also doing the reality checks is... At the very least, that's taking a moment, you know, multiple moments throughout your day to just build, be mindful of your your surroundings. So mm. put it this way, it just if you just enter into this, say, I'm going to keep track of my dreams. I'm just going to take some time to do these reality tricks. Even if you don't have a lucid dream, that is a um, those practices can be rewarding in themselves. Mm. And you probably will have one. But, you know, if you approach it, don't put pressure on yourself is what I'm saying. Mm. just get in touch with your dreams do those reality checks and see what happens it, it will be interesting anyway even if nothing does before we continue on this podcast i want to introduce you to harmonize my 21 day classical music challenge i just want to tell you how much i really loved your 21 day classical music challenge when i got the email about it i was very excited but once i heard it i was really impressed with your curation of the music because for those of you that haven't done the challenge when you start the challenge the, the pieces are short and then each time the music gets a little bit longer and a little bit longer and what i realized was through the course of these pieces you weren't just connecting me to the music you were connecting me and extending my presence and that's priceless and that is such a beautiful thing. I encourage everybody to do it as soon as they can, especially if you don't listen to classical music, because if you don't, then it's time to start working on new ways to find peace. So I thank you. Click the link below to find out more. 
so do you fly <laughs> so yeah flying is like like i was saying before it's not like there's rules of the dream world but there's yeah. certain experiences that come up again and again and flying seems to come very very naturally yeah, and, I just uh, it's interesting. Yeah, everyone that, flies. Flying is like the number one, right? Because I was just thinking that I mean, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine actually, and he was telling me that he'd had a lucid dream, and it was like, and as soon as he realized that he was lucid dreaming, he's like, okay, I'm gonna fly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's the number one thing, and then obviously number two is okay, I'm gonna find the most beautiful woman. Um, yeah, I was gonna say that <laughs> flying and, and that would be the two. Yeah. Um, but uh, so because I remember some I was talking to somebody while I was on this journey trying to lucid dream and he kind of like looked at me and was just like why would you want to do that like <laughs> you know and I'm actually curious to ask you if you were to recommend it as a practice to other people why should they try to lucid dream or go on this journey why should they? That, that's an interesting one. I mean, it's like, for, in terms of the stuff that I've got out of it, the yeah, the meditation quite type experiences. I wake up with a, it's a very positive glow after mm. those ones. Flying in a dream is just, I mean, it's just ecstatic. It just feels they're they're up there with like my uh, you know, sort of some top experiences in my life, which which sounds that might seem like really sad, but um, really? not. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I would say the top experiences, but in terms of the the sensation, it's just yeah. a very positive feeling. And with me personally, another sort of spin-off that it's had, the topic of lucid dreaming. Once you start learning about dreams, man, it's just it's not just dreams. It puts you into so many other avenues like philosophy, psychology. You just to sort of figure out what if you're trying to figure out what dreams are, good good luck. Because it um <laughs> you end up like looking into so many different areas. So yeah. in that sense, it's sort of like a self-discovery, but also it leads you onto all these different different mm. parts of knowledge, you know. Amazing. Amazing. So but it's just self-evidently awesome. I, I don't know what your friend was, was talking about. <laughs> well, that's what, because, and then the, he sent me, there's this book called Reality Transurfing. Don't know if you've ever heard about it. No. And I remember he recommended me to read that book. It's a very long book. It's like five, 600 pages. I was reading it in London last year, and I think I got about halfway through it. And I agreed with a lot of the stuff in it. And then there's a part where he does start talking. He talks about lucid dreams, but he talks about it in a way that you should be careful in case you get completely sucked into the the dream world okay and that's where i kind of felt he went a little bit um too i don't i don't even know how you'd explain it but it's kind of like airy fairy modern philosophical psychology okay. philosophy thing is it's it's um it's an interesting book but you have to read it with your own discrimination so you take what's yeah. good from it and you kind of leave aside what's not necessary but it does make you in reading it it does make you question a lot of things of like what is real like how much can you actually manifest so if you do change your psychology and the way you experience the world 
how much does the world actually change? And you find that you you are the one experiencing this reality, whether it's the waking reality or the dream reality, and you're the observing entity. So if you change what you see, then yes, your reality is going to change because you're the one experiencing it. So something horrible can happen in front of you, but if you experience that looking for the good in it, you'll find some good in it, you know, and something good may happen. And if you experience that looking at the, for the bad of it, which I think a lot of people do do because it's just natural that you, because you're not looking for the good in something and you're kind of in a bad state, you experience this thing as bad. And then that just continues your experience of bad for that day. It's like they say you're waking up on the wrong side of the bed you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're already grumpy from the moment you wake up. Now the likelihood is you're going to have a grumpy day and the person that you meet in the street who kind of greets you, you're going to be like, oh, why are you greeting me? When you could have just greeted back and then it would have been positive and uplifting and then the, your day gets better and better, but you start your day off bad and you know it continues bad. But it is very interesting then that if you do that in your waking life, and then you do that in your dream reality. I don't know, because I haven't experienced it, but I'd love to. <laughs> now, on a slightly different topic, but related, obviously. What about the interpretation of dreams? Like interpreting dream events and experiences in waking life. Do you have any experience with that um, or i'm surprisingly bad at that I, in a way i have quite an unusual uh, sort of but i mean this is the thing about dreams there's no there are no rules you know there's a million a million different takes on it but yeah as i said my main focus is, is doing these drawings and then when i'm not doing that uh sort of doing these meditation practices so i don't occasionally stuff comes up in the drawings and yeah i have dreams where i'm like oh that obviously relates to that so yeah it's not like i totally ignore that but i don't like that's not like a major focus of how i work with dreams mm. if, if, if that makes sense so what are these drawings that you're doing yeah part, I, i'm just thinking now like part of the reason why i don't maybe analyze it for meaning too much is like because i'm sharing these drawings online and it, to um if i start delving into what these all mean I might suddenly be like, hang on, I don't want people seeing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm very much like putting my unconscious out there, <laughs> internet or whatever. But, um, but you wouldn't know by looking at them. The drawings are, okay, so when I draw in a dream, so we spoke a little bit before about in a lucid dream, you can, you can do something, you can meet a person, but you don't know what they're going to do or say. They're going to surprise you, you know. Mm. So when I do a drawing in a dream, it's a bit like that. I'll get the pen and paper and I'll, I might just draw a circle, but then another image will, will appear on the page. So I just, you know, I just draw like one or two lines, but then the drawing from there just comes to life and all sorts of stuff appears on the page. And then I try and remember it. Then I wake up and create a copy of it, but the sort of stuff that appears yeah, that might be what you call like archetypal imagery, like Jung's idea of archetypes, sort of these patterns that 
emerge in different cultures and throughout the world. I quite often have words come up. I was saying before how words are hard to read in a dream, but that doesn't mean they're impossible to read. You, you, mm. I will see words on the page, and there'll be quite often there'll be um. I forget the word for it now, but they're like when people are like uh, speaking in tongues again in various religious traditions. There'll be this, you know, when you see them in like American churches and they, ah, you know, saying these yeah, yeah, yeah. words, and it's uh, ah. I'm blanking on the technical term for it. But anyway, in, in lots of different uh, altered states of consciousness, that's quite a common thing that comes up. Like uh, you might call them nonsense words. Right. And uh, yeah, so that quite, obviously in a religious context, they, they'd see them as like a some sort of divine language or something. I, I don't necessarily see it as that. I I, I don't know what I see it as. That's the thing. I, I, <laughs> I like to leave it open. That's why I like exploring this through arts because it's like, I don't right. have to come up with a I don't have to say what this what this is. It's more open, you know. So what I'm trying to say is when I do these drawings, I'll get these strange nonsense words. And I have no idea what they mean. Like one of them was clue pendolinlen, for example, and that's like right. just on the page was written that pew pendolinlen. Right. Uh, who who knows what that means? And uh so it's totally bizarre. But that's why mm. I love doing it, because it's just right. like, like yeah. what, what the hell is this stuff <laughs> and yeah just strange words numbers and then just yeah strange images and it, like lots of faces made out of faces that kind of stuff yeah and uh yeah there's a crossover between i don't know if you're aware of the term outsider art it was a movement mm, like no but it's like in like modernism like the modern artists were kind of inspired by it it was basically art by a lot of the time it was by mental patients and people with mental health problems, schizophrenia, uh, serious mental health problems like schizophrenia and stuff like that. Okay. See, they see the world in a very different way. Mm. The art that they would create would be very, very unusual, and uh, and that inspired the surrealists because it, it's um, massively generalizing. You know, it's stuff that's coming from the unconscious, and there's various different ways into that. Mm. Psychosis is one of them, obviously. But what I was going to say is, yeah, the stuff that comes up in these dream drawings is like similar to that kind of thing. So you might get faces made out of lots of little faces, that mm. type of thing. And that's like a classic thing that comes up in what they used to call outsider art. Yeah, so it's it's strange. But I don't, yeah, sometimes a meaning jumps out at me, but I don't, I don't um, delve mm. into the meaning too much. I like to prefer just to leave it open. Right. It is what it is. Yeah, because I, I think if it was for... If I was doing it just for myself, I, I might be more. Um, I might want to delve into the meaning a bit more, but I'm doing it for. I mean, there's no, there's no getting around it. This is quite a sort of indulgent <laughs> thing to do. But if I, but if I was making these drawings and then also saying, well, this is what it was about this girlfriend that left me when I, you know, it, it would be yeah, yeah. to register the drawing and and the, you know, it's sort of mysterious. Hmm. So you're also doing portraits for other people, right? Yeah. I saw a yeah, video yeah. of you doing that. What's what's that? How, yeah, so how do you do that? Well, someone said to me that um yeah, it might, it might be an interesting thing to do, do meet someone in a dream, because you remember you can meet specific people in your dreams. And I could create portraits of those people. And then I started thinking, how would I do that? 
and um like i said before there's um yeah the dream world's always changing so if you if you try to draw a portrait of someone in a dream the same way you would in waking life mm-hmm. it's not going to work because in waking life you look at the person look at the paper look at the person look at the, if you do that in a dream because everything's changing it will just be a mess by the time you look at them and look back at your paper it will just look different so it's not going to work so i do this thing where i and because remember this is this is lucid dreaming so you can do anything you want within reason right so the technique that i use to do people's portraits it's not like this is the way to do a portrait in someone's dream it's it's more like this is the way that i chose to do it Mm. because this sounds fun and makes sense to me so the way i do it is i get a piece of paper and I hold it up to the person's face in the lucid dream. And I kind of will the paper to become transparent. And then I see the person's face through the transparent paper. And then I tell myself lots of drawings that are going to appear on that paper. And then that's what happens. And again, they're not they're portraits in a very loose sense because they don't look like drawings of people. They are, I mean, in a very broad sense, if I was going to do a portrait of you in my lucid dream, I would meet you in my lucid dream and there would be some sort of interaction between dream me, dream you and a piece of paper on which artworks will appear. And then I'll wake up and recreate that, uh, that drawing. So I think of these, I think of the artworks in a way, the actual final drawing is just half of it because the, the story which comes from the dream, I see that as part of the artwork as well. Mm. so really they're 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 drawings with stories attached that's the way i that's the way i see it amazing and how how have people like your previous clients how have how have they what's their kind of response been to these portraits or these stories yeah well inevitably quite a lot of the time i'll yeah i'll speak to the person on zoom before we do it just so i can you know a lot of the time they're in other countries so i need to if someone just emails me and goes, my name's Steve, can I get a portrait? I can't, I can't just dream of Steve. I need to have something to go off. So I'll chat to them on Zoom. So I've met them, I have some contact with them. And that way I can have a dream and it's it's more meaningful. Like I can actually meet mm. that person, you know. Well, you know, that the dream version of that person. And then I'll do the drawing, and then sometimes I'll, yeah, we'll have like a follow-up Zoom and you know, and inevitably people will want to read into it and they'll be like, oh, this is, you know, I don't know how you knew this. And sometimes what I'm trying to say is sometimes people treat me like a psychic <laughs> and I have to, I don't, and I understand why that happens because it's a very, on the surface of it is, I guess it's quite a similar dynamic, but that isn't what I'm, I'm not totally closed off from those ideas, but I'm not like, that isn't what I'm touting necessarily. So yeah, yeah, yeah. in the yeah. early days, people would like say that and I'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but now I'm like, man, it's, it's art. You know, you read into it what you want to read into. It. I'm not going to like, you know, it's right. like I was saying before it's, I, I make the drawing. And then after that, it's, um, you know, people can read into it what, what they want to. So. Yeah. No, it's yeah. just really interesting because uh, I was, I mentioned to my mother in the week that I was doing this recording and I just told her that I'd watched this video, uh, like just doing my preparation for this conversation. 
and I watched a video where you it was online. I think you were explaining it was on your website. It was talking about the, the your portraits and what you do. Yeah. I just mentioned it to her, and she was like, oh, "I want to, I want to do that. I want to do." That. She was like really excited about yeah. it. Yeah, I'll do it for your mum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I'll, I'll get. I'll put you in contact with her. Um, I also want one. I want okay, one. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the whole family. I'll do it. Yeah, why not? And see what see what um, similarities yeah. come up, which is quite interesting because um, did you listen to that episode with Dr. Maria? You mentioned you'd kind of you. I only listened to the opening bit. I didn't. Hear okay, okay, okay. So what? Because she's well, she's just very finely tuned uh, in an audio capacity. So she's a musicologist. She's been playing the piano since she was like four or five or something. She's um, she's done some really amazing, groundbreaking work in the field of deafness and helping people. She works with children, well, children of various ages, but specifically with I think it's under under a year old because at that point the brain hasn't completely um oh, what's how do i explain it like when a child is born the brain is still fusing it's still kind of forming its kind of neuro pathways etc so at birth a child can hear all sounds but as you get older the brain only fuses the sounds that it's experienced so like you get different languages, for example. So a child that um, in India, there's different ways of saying the letter T. So it's not just T, it's T, ta, ta, ta. Yeah. And somebody who hasn't grown up like that can't differentiate between the two different T's. But a mm. child born in India and heard that T his entire life can dif- can distinguish between the two. And like with various other languages and kind of subtle sounds, et cetera, et cetera that you grow up and then you can't actually differentiate between these two different sounds. So what she's done is with classical music is exposing to very young children to a wide range of different sounds and different scales and different instruments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that they have a broader sound um, experience and knowledge, I guess you could say. Where the hell was I going with this? <laughs> um, oh no, that's what it was. So what she what she is able to do because of her knowledge of sound and her very fine tuned ears is when you speak to her in the first five ten seconds, she can tell the scale that you speak in. Mm. So the musical scales. So you go from like A, B, C, C sharp, whatever it is. And she can just hear the scale at which you speak. So I personally, I speak in F sharp major, apparently. And what's very interesting is there is a study that was done in the 1800s by some German musicologist philosopher, and he mapped out the emotional landscape of each one of the scales. So a composer will write music in, let's say, uh, I think uh, D major, which is very uplifting and very happy. And you listen to a piece played in D major and you're like, you just feel good, right? 
and another composer who's trying to who's doing a requiem mass or something more somber will use a different key which kind of unlocks those feelings of sadness etc cetera, etc cetera, right now what we've found so far is that the scale in which you speak correlates with the emotional landscape of that scale now so far i have no idea what this means but it, again it's triggered my curiosity that because i did this i i launched this 21 day classical music challenge where i had like people from all over the world listening to different pieces of music every day starting at 5 minutes and kind of getting slightly longer and longer and longer until on day 21 it's like one of beethoven's full symphonies and what i got each person to do is send me a voice note of their reflections on that piece and i was sending those voice notes to maria <laughs> and getting uh, and getting and getting me getting her to tell me what, what scale would they do they speak it then at, towards the, at the end of the challenge i was telling if like i know that so and so speaks in c sharp major and the emotional landscape of c sharp major is is such and i send that description to them and i said does this dis does this describe who you like do, would you do you resonate with that as a description of you every single person agreed and that was fascinating and then what was doubly fascinating is there was somebody in america there was a lady in america who spoke i can't remember the scale but let's just say f major and so there was a lady in america who spoke in f major there was a guy in london that spoke in F major and another guy in Nigeria who spoke in F major and there, what they felt listening to one of the pieces was almost identical. Right? So this is a piece of music that was written what, by Bach. So that's in the 1700s played through YouTube today where you have three people of different ages different sexes and different kind of cultural backgrounds etc etc i mean like america london and nigeria all having the same experience all speaking in the same tone or the same kind of key and i was like, that is absolutely fascinating so there's something there in the frequency and the you know the harmonies and the resonance of that piece of music that speaks to that type of person mm. whether they black white pink they speak this language or that language it's just the in the music it speaks so there's a, like the music is tapping into something that connects humans through their humanness and what i am absolutely certain of well it's, it's not even you don't need to be absolutely is you don't even need to kind of scientifically prove it at all it's simply that the dream is something that connects every single human being in their humanness because every single human dreams yeah whatever language you speak whatever society you come from whatever culture you come from and all of the major religions spiritual paths etc etc they all have some kind of connection to the dream reality and whether it's like and that's why i was kind of asking you about the interpretation of dreams because mm -hmm. they all have some kind of connection to the dream world and the interpretation of dreams and dreams having meanings and you know you look at all the mythological stories 
and like the hero will have a dream and something will be inspired or mm-hmm. i mean the what was the other one the the periodic table i remember them telling me at school that the scientist that came up with the actual table he saw it in a dream yeah yeah so yeah, then yeah. where did it come from you know it's like and then you start tapping into the realm of divine inspiration etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah, yeah. um so yeah i mean i just find it absolutely fascinating as a subject because it's it's oh, something yeah. that it's 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 one of those overarching things that just connects people we connect it and what you're telling me through these kind of self portraits is whether because you're tapping well what i'm hearing is because you're tapping into that realm that connects all humans that are living and maybe even that are dead I don't, I don't know but it's like there's some kind of thing that some arena that you're tapping into that when you meet somebody in that realm it's having an effect on them now they can then define you as a psychic or not which I mean, that's not the point the point is that you're kind of connecting to something plugging into something that I think the ancients knew about, I mean, without getting too caught up in conspiracy theory or like religion, so to speak. But I think there's some, there's the ancients knew about this. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. But um, yeah, once you sort of start researching dreams and the way different cultures have seen them throughout, throughout mm. time, et cetera, there, there really is, there really is no one, one way i mean if you're trying to figure out what dreams are or or what they do or what it's sort of the more you look into it the the more you realize it's almost a nonsensical question in the way that i was saying before about how dream your dream life is as real as you know real life yeah yeah yeah. so it's a bit like you know trying to find out the answer to what dreams are or what that what they mean is a bit like trying to find the answer to what this life means mm. and you know, good luck if you've got the definitive answer to that <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's the, yeah, I, yeah. it's the same thing with dreams it's not right. like there is an answer you know that there, yeah. there are various meanings to be mm. found in dreams and various different cultures have had totally different ideas of what it is yeah whether it's like what you're saying like it taps into like a um transpersonal mm. consciousness that you know transcends your your personal sort of a little private world or it's something that just happens in your head or it's connected to the afterlife or yeah there's a million there's a million different mm-hmm. ways that's, yeah that's why i like to explore it through art i like to uh, mm-hmm. open. i like that i like that have you read a book i can't remember the author's name i always forget his name it's called the world is as you dream it no. and it's written by the man that wrote confessions of an economic hitman Oh, it sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name. Oh, I'm actually going to Google it. John Perkins, right? Okay. So he, long before he wrote The Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which was his massive, you know, big hit, bestseller, etc. Um, He wrote this book, I think it was in 1996, called The World Is As You Dream It. And I guess at that point of his life, he was disillusioned by his career as this kind of economic hitman, et cetera, et cetera. And he had gone on a journey to South America 
to I don't know I can't remember why he went in the first place but he went to South America and he was in the uh, the jungle of Peru I think and he met this kind of this shaman there and I mean there's also like a whole load of things on psychedelics and other um, kind of practices to tap into the, the the ether or whatever you want to call it the the shaman basically one of the things that he he, he showed him or he taught him was that the future is a dream and the past is a dream. And there's, so there's only now. Mm. Now, as you can dream your future and turn it into a kind of, um, you can you, you can have like your goals and aspirations and what you're kind of moving towards as a dream. So too, you can change your past because your past is also just a dream. If you're not in it anymore, it's just a, it's just a memory. It's a dream. It's a kind of, it's an idea in your head. So you can change your past by changing the dream of the past. I thought it was it was very interesting. I, yeah, I hi- highly recommend reading that book. The world is as you dream it, and it kind of it it kind of comes back also to that thing of mindfulness and being present in the moment, because you can change as much as you can manifest and change your future. I think what's also important is changing the way you see your past. Mm. and uh well i was gonna talk about well I, i'll talk about it with you on a personal note uh whether i put it out there to the world i'll i'll, I'll choose in the in well in the edit but so again coming back to that journey that i was on um becoming a life coach with my master coach you could say and one of these things that kept emerging was my relationship with my father and what I realized as going through this journey was it wasn't my relationship with my father. It was my father's relationship with his father, which was very messy. And then, and I, I never met my grandfather. So I never, I never knew him. I didn't experience him or anything. And then I went on a journey to find, and I remember asking my father, I had a long phone call with him and I was asking him about his father. I'm asking him all these questions and a few of them he didn't know, but it turned out that my grandfather was stationed in Malta during the second world war and he was working for the RAF. And so he was obviously seeing every day, these planes going off and, um, you know, going off and these kind of heroic fighter pilots not coming back. Now they were fighting, they were uh, bombing North Africa right so basically like the muslim lands of north africa so when my father became muslim in the 70s or whatever it was my grandfather disowned him and for me it was like suddenly in that moment i was like boom it was all so clear because these these people that he that had been like these heroic men fighting for the raf had been going off killing these like bad Muslim people, and then his own son goes and becomes Muslim, it was like his psychology couldn't comprehend it because in order for him to accept that, he has to accept that, you know, it was all his friends and heroes that died during the Second World War. You know, there was this whole other thing, and I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. And then I told that to my father, and it was like like something popped in him. It was like it was he was free of that pain. Wow. And in him being free of that pain, it was like I was free of it. And it was like, and 
you know it was it was amazing it was absolutely it was so it was such a beautiful thing and i mean my father's like proper english you know doesn't you don't talk about your emotions you, all that stuff is kept yeah. it in you know stiff upper lip and it was like somehow we tapped into this place that was it was just really beautiful and it was partly from that book you know change your change the way you see your past and it changes your present moment um so i, I do highly recommend reading that book i'll, I'll send you a link yeah please do uh, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah that sounds really interesting mm. i saw you posted on instagram something about I, I I read the, the the description and it was something along the lines of doing research where AI is depicting the images that you're experiencing in the lucid dream. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there's a, yeah, that particular one. Yeah. There's a few different strands to it. That particular one was um, basically I, I've like a lot of people I've got excited by all the, um, recent advances with ai excited mm. slash terrified <laughs> um depending on the day it's it's excited but um yeah so and naturally i'm thinking right how can i combine this with the world of dreaming and the world of creating art and one of the ways there's a few different ways i've been thinking about doing it let me talk about this first actually the um so a lot of people don't realize this but like the idea of video recording a dream, you know, like some, if you were having a dream, like me being able to watch it back on a video screen, that sounds like totally science fiction. But what people don't realize is they, they've already made inroads into doing that. Like a decade ago, they, they had a very, very rudimentary way of doing that. Hmm. But now it's using AI and because AI is getting much better, people are kind of looking at these things again. And uh they're getting closer to being able to do that so if i it's probably a bit confusing for people so i'll, I'll explain the way that mm. that's possible so if so we get you in a sleep lab and if right. i wanted to record your dreams we'd put you in a fmri scanner to uh yeah so you're laying there it's scanning your, your brain and would show you hours and hours of video footage and different photographs like a lot, like this takes weeks to do. Okay. And we scan your, so I scan your brain while you're looking at an apple, while you're looking at a tree, while you're looking at a dog, while you're looking at a car, et cetera, et cetera. There's many different things. Right. So we know what your brain looks like when you're looking at all these different objects. Uh, then you probably guess where this is going. Then you yeah. go to sleep and have a dream in the scanner. And with that information, which is different for everyone, you have to do it personalize this experiment to every different person then you can have a dream in the scanner and i can wait and you can wake up and i'll tell you oh you were having a dream about uh walking through a forest and then a you know a bird flew by and then whatever and it's like 80 percent accurate i believe i have to check those statistics but oh okay. so in that it's a very roundabout way of doing it and they actually they will have a, a screen that um yeah, has like an AI reconstructing what that dream would have looked like as well. So where I'm going with that is what I want to do, and I'm speaking to researchers about this. I want to go into a lucid dream and do a drawing with my dream pen and my dream piece of paper in the dream 
and then have like a live uh, video sort of playing what that looks like, you know, like a readout, a live readout of the artwork. And if I train, oh. if we train the AI on what my drawings look like, you know, then that will add to the, um, does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. And I think what's interesting is that further confirms that you're actually drawing what you say you're, you're, you're experiencing exactly. in the dream reality. Exactly. Yeah, you're, yeah. Not just, not... you're not just scribbling on a piece of paper and saying, oh yeah, exactly. you know, this was a portrait. <laughs> Yeah, that's part of the motivation. It's not the only one, but it's because right. I'm aware that, yes, almost everything I do relies on me saying, you know, yeah. my honesty, basically saying. What yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so part of me is thirsting for this, some sort of objective uh, thing. But apart from that, it, it is just fascinating. And I think a lot of the reason you've probably heard loads of stuff in the media about AI sort of threatening the role of the artist, et cetera, et cetera. And I totally understand that. Don't get me wrong. But the flip side of that, in a way, this is like a really, really exciting time for for art in the way that the invention of the camera and photography was an exciting time. And that mm. gave birth to like, you know, abstraction and all this exciting stuff because it pushed people into a new area. Mm. It's the same with AI, you know, it's going it, to, it's making people really think about what art is. And I think part of, Part of that is, you know, an AI can come up with a complex painting, but if there was no, let me put it another way. When, if someone makes a painting, if a human artist makes a painting, we know looking at that painting, there was something it was like for that person to make that painting. Does that make sense? Mm. Kind of. There was an experience that when that person was making the painting. Yeah. It was an experience for them. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Right. That, yeah. 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 And yeah, though yeah, it yeah. might not literally be translated, it's that mm. I think that matters. You know, because I I don't I don't think the AIs will be. And anyway, if we get into this, it will take ages. But all I'm saying is currently that an AI makes something and it may look good, but. The, the, the AI didn't experience anything when it was making it. The lights were off, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah that yeah. makes the it sort of again like the stories attached to the things matter, not just the, the the things. But anyway, but this thing of sort of collaborating with the AI, I think that's puts an exciting spin on it because then yeah, it's, sort of, it's a I collaboration think... between the two. Right, there's a human artist. It's sort of giving you an insight into something you wouldn't usually be able to see. So anyway, anyway, that's stuff I'm excited about. Well, also, I mean, AI can't really produce anything without an input, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got to so be some is. kind of, you've got it's to type into be. it, like, mm-hmm. green dragon in a magical forest, digital art, boom, and then it kind yeah, of creates yeah. its thing, right? But, I mean, you've got to input something into the thing in the first place. I just feel, again, even with this thing of all of the, like you were saying, that the AI is, extremely exciting but it's also very terrifying i'm like again that just kind of comes back to the thing that i was saying about the the changing your past and changing your present uh, changing your past and changing your future and like that having an effect on your present and how one experiences the world if you experience the if you experience ai positively then there's there's positive in it if you are going to see it as a nightmare then it's going to be a nightmare and you're going to see all the nightmares of it. At the end of the day, it's just technology. It's not 
it has no power it has no intrinsic power to it it can be used for good it can be used for bad and i think that's the same with all technology but at the end of the day with anything artistic it comes down to the question of the one experiencing the art now yeah, yeah. and you have to have a soul or you have to have some kind you have to have something in you to experience the art for it to affect you now that can it can there's a friend of mine who's a, an amazing photographer and there's this one photograph that he took that I abs I I absolutely hate it like I I yeah. hate it and I remember telling him it's like I absolutely hate that piece and he was so he was so happy because he was like great it affected you uh -huh. and I was like amazing you know I remember it was about six or seven years ago at a gallery and it was like it had an effect on me and that he was happy that his kind of creation this photo whatever image he'd captured it was these two kind of um two gangsters from cape town but like really like street gangsters it's just like a very horrifying image i was just like i don't like it and he's like good you know it's it stirred something in you it, it activated something in you and i thought that was uh it was very interesting and i think that's that that is what art is is like it has to affect you and so like with what you're doing with whether people perceive it as some psychic ability or you know you know clairvoyance or whatever it is at the end of the day you're producing a piece of art that affects somebody and i think that's absolutely amazing man and i want to i want a, a, a dream portrait how does somebody go about commissioning a, a dream portrait well yeah usually as i'd say the first um the first step would be to do a zoom to sort of get to know the person but, i mean this is this podcast will serve as that we, we, don't, <laughs> we don't need to do this again but um i mean not that not that i wouldn't want to but um right yeah so this is i i've got you know i, I i've got a feel for you now so i could for sure conjure up a dream in which I meet you and Fantastic. then uh, yeah and then from there I I usually say uh, I say give me about two weeks to have the dream usually it happens quicker than that mm. I like to give myself a couple of weeks and then from there I create the drawing and uh, then I'll write you a little thing about the dream and what happened in the dream and then I'll and I'll send it to South Africa or wh wherever you happen to live and that's that's essentially it do you know of anybody else in the world today doing what you're doing? Uh, the portraits, definitely not. I mean, if you are the only person in the entire world doing it, that is extremely unique. I mean, that thing that you said to me now, this meditating in a dream state, I thought that is like completely blown my mind because I didn't, all of the ideas that I'd thought that I could get from lucid dreaming, now that for me is like now like oh I want to do I want to meditate in a lucid dream. If you if you're interested in that, what you need to look at is um is a uh, dream yoga, and dream yoga is what the because the I mean yeah we discovered lucid dreaming in the seventies and eighties but right the various traditions have delved into it but the Buddhists you know, doing it thousands of years ago and like really, really in depth. And they, in that tradition, they call it dream yoga. Right. 
And that's where, if you're interested in meditating and dreams, that's like, the, that's where you look the, at the way. There's a few good books on that. No, I'm really excited to see where this takes you, man. I really, really am. I think you're, you've got such a cool thing. And I want a, an Abdullah Dutton portrait on my on my wall. And to everyone who comes to my house, it's like, yeah, that's a that's my dream portrait or whatever. And yeah, it would be an honor to be one for you. Pimp you from my house. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this takes you. But do put the price up. It's tricky with art because it's, yeah, how, how do you put a price on it? The price is always... Uh, the plan is always to put it up. It's just where it's just when you know. The price of art is what somebody is willing to pay for it, mm. and yes. that's that is the price of art, and that's what makes art so valuable, and that's why people can charge insane amounts. I mean, the thing is, what I would suggest is doing a portrait for one of the most because you don't actually need to meet somebody in person, so you could watch. I don't know, do, watch uh, 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 one of Joe Rogan's podcasts or whatever. Meet Joe Rogan in your dream and draw his portrait and reach out to him and say, look, I did this, you know, something along yeah, those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can even, you can do it for anybody. You can do it for people that have long gone and mm -hmm. and you can mm -hmm. sell your portrait. Like, this is the dream portrait of my meeting with... I don't know whoever you want to meet. Yeah, you know, I have done a bit of that actually. I did one of Philip K. Dick, if you know that guy, the sci-fi author. No, I don't. No, no he's the guy sorry. who wrote. Um, he wrote the book that Blade Runner was based on. Oh, and interesting. And, um, Minority Report stuff. Like that. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, and you can just like the 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 boundaries are endless. You can just choose whoever you want throughout history and just go and meet them and see see what they've got to say or see what they've got to show. <laughs> and, and that would be so cool, man. Yo, I'd like to meet Mussolini. Yeah, I can see what his portrait would look like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, or, 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 or somebody along those lines. I don't know. Yeah, you could do that. Great, great dictators through... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, like the, the, the possibilities are are limitless because you, I mean, it's the dream world, and so that you just, I mean, then you can sell a collection to somebody as a very specific, unique collection of, okay. I mean, and then and then it's on commission. You can do on commission as well, so it's just like you can have your lower ticket offers and your higher ticket offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you yeah, just portraits will dip, they will go up at some point. What yeah. we did, what we didn't talk about was. Um, one of the other things I do is rather than yeah, rather than doing people's portraits, another mm -hmm. exciting thing I've been doing is I'll meet a person in my dream. This is these aren't necessarily specific people, but I'll just go up to whatever random dream character is there. That's why they call them dream characters. Mm -hmm. And then instead of the, doing the drawing myself, I give them the pen and paper and I ask them to do a drawing. Oh, so that's uh, and that's I'm actually collaborating on that with a um. There's a scientist who studies dreams called Antonio Zadra, and okay. he's he's sort of one of his areas of research is to what extent dream characters have their own internal worlds and their own volition or whatever you want to call it. So that's mm. like so that's an experiment with that. You give them pen and paper and ask them to do a drawing, and then yeah. So I've had quite interesting stuff come out of that. Amazing. Yeah. Just on that note, have you ever like 
done it with animals? Not on purpose, but when I was doing that, the thing I was just talking about with dream characters, I I was looking around for somebody and I couldn't find anyone, but I did see a dog. Okay. And I gave the dog a pen and paper and the dog did a drawing. It's I, uh, interesting. A, a kind of weird factory kind of thing. But it's only that one occasion. And that was more like opportunistic because the dog was there. I didn't, it was mm-hmm. a plan to do it. Um, I'd also like a portrait of a wolf. A portrait of a wolf, yeah, doing a portrait of a dream portrait of so like the wolf's there, and then see what the wolf's face turns into. I see what you mean, yeah, 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 because you've because of your experience with the wolf, yeah, yeah. Well, also, I I dream of wolves all the time, and like wolf is definitely a a theme that whether you're talking about my dreams or whatever, it's like there is definitely a a a recurring thing of wolves. Interesting, like our family crest has also got two wolves on it and okay the my great ancestor was called rolf rolf or something it was viking which means the famous wolf so wow. it's like there's definitely something in the 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 genetic code where there's the recurrence of this kind of wolf theme or wolf animal yeah 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 so i am a big fan of wolves I mean, it's so Inception, man. It's, it's insane. What Do you know anything about Inception as a film? Like the people that wrote Inception? Were uh, they I, having... I, I've watched it a few times. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure of the backstory. Right. I mean, were they... So you don't know whether the writers were actually lucid dreaming or kind of tapping into this world at all? What's the guy? What's the guy? Who's the director again? I want to say Christopher Nolan, but I don't think it is. Let's have a look. Let's just do Inception. I remember hearing. I remember hearing that he was into lucid dreaming, which obviously makes sense. You probably oh, it is. yeah, Christopher Nolan. It's Christopher Nolan, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's um. I don't know in great detail, but I, I think I believe he is into lucid dreaming. Yeah. But that's not, most of lucid dreamers give that film a hard time. Going, oh, so unrealistic, bloody bloody. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I like it. I mean, I mean. As we've discovered in this podcast, it's very, it's very hard to articulate and explain what lucid dreaming is like. I mean, hopefully I've done it. I just love that. I love that the depiction of lucid dreaming is unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. It, uh, <laughs> I mean, you could, there's a trade-off there, isn't it? I mean, if you made it really, really um, sort of, uh, what's the word, accurate depiction of what lucid dreaming is. <laughs> right. Probably wouldn't be a very entertaining movie. You know? Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good film. Oh, fascinating. 